Welcome to the One in One Podcast, where below average podcasts are chats with an above average athlete. I'm your host, Bridget B. My guest today is Angie Benson, who played lacrosse at Towson in 2016 and 2017 before stepping away from the game. She then returned to the game in 2020 to play for Virginia Tech. We're going to hear about her career, what she did during her time away, and why she decided to return. Angie, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you? I'm good. Happy to be talking to you. Yes, absolutely. Happy to be on. Great. So, Angie, you're from Palm City, Florida. Where exactly is that in Florida? Uh, Yeah, it's definitely not on the map. I always have to explain (laughs) where my city is. Um, I guess the most common city people would know in Florida would be West Palm Beach, and it's a little north of West Palm Beach, about 30 minutes. Okay, nice. So, East Coast. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Very cool. Now, are you from a big family or a small family? Um, I guess middle-sized family. I, I'm, I'm a middle child. Uh, <laughs> I have an older sister and a younger brother. Nice. So three kids. Yeah. Got any of that middle child syndrome? Absolutely. Like, through and through. Definitely <laughs> the statistic. <laughs> and I'm kind of happy about it. I'd rather be the middle child syndrome than the only child syndrome, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I hear you. <laughs> now, how did you get into the sport of lacrosse? Um, so before I lived in Palm City, I actually lived in Plantation, which is near Fort Lauderdale, and I was really big in the soccer. Um, and the soccer team I played on was a pretty prestigious team. We played, like, nationally. It was for literally U10s, U8s. We all, like, played up. And I moved to Palm City, and I was just super burned out with soccer. I told my parents, like, I want nothing to do with soccer. I never want to touch another soccer ball again. <laughs> and... When I got to Palm City, I had club coaches for soccer literally knocking on my door asking me to play for their club team. And I told this one guy, his name was Matt Living, who's literally been my coach all throughout my childhood. I was like, no way, I'm not playing soccer. And he's like, well, at least try lacrosse. We have, like, a new ref program uh, coming in. It's been around for maybe two years. Like, come by and check it out. And in soccer, I was a bully as well. So I came to my first rec practice, and I just kind of got stuck in goal. And <laughs> after that, my coach was just like, all right, like, you're staying in goal. And it was kind of a position I was used to. So I was like, all right, like, no worries. <laughs> I don't have to run by the pool. I, I, went, I was a pretty chubby little kid. So, so a goalie position kind of fit my mentality at the time. <laughs> And, you know, you say similar with the goal in soccer and lacrosse, but, I mean, it's pretty different. You know, the net in soccer is a lot bigger and the ball's bigger, but in lacrosse, yeah, you're in a really small net with a really small ball. I felt um, I got hit a lot more ball in lacrosse, where, where soccer, I was throwing my body at the ball a little more. <laughs> um, I guess the, the training's a little different. I was definitely more launching side to side with soccer and trying to like get those tip saves where lacrosse is, I guess, are positional. And if I just stay in, in the correct angles, hopefully the ball hits me. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. So you've got to tell me this, that lacrosse ball is really hard. So you must have to wear so much protective gear. How hot did that get playing in the Florida humidity? <laughs> I actually started taking it off. <laughs> I don't blame you. Um, I got, yeah, I got really over the, the pant 
pads and the shin pads. Uh, well, I started going to Northern camp, and I saw that the goalies up north were wearing less pads, so I kind of felt like a little bit of a loser, you know? And, <laughs> and Florida wasn't really a lacrosse prominent sport, and when I'm playing with all these Northeast girls, and I was like, I kind of wanted to fit in, so I started taking off pads. And then when I got back down to Florida, I was like, wow, this is so much breezier. <laughs> like, I'm going to stick with less pads. But in middle school, you have to wear pads as part of the rules. Then I started wearing sweatpants, baggy sweatpants, so I can get away with the pads. So I'd rather have the sweatpant look and sweat in sweatpants and maybe have the ball get caught in my pants rather than like wearing pads and then bag pants over it. Now, have you ever taken a ball to the shin? That's got to hurt. Oh, uh, yeah. I think this season my shin started bleeding. Oof. And then eventually I started wearing shin pads for practice. And I was like, <laughs> all right, like time is not cool looking cool anymore. It actually hurts. So I'm going to wear shin pads. <laughs> Now, do you like the pressure that comes with being a goalie? Um, yes and no. I think I perform well under pressure. For instance, like, I was just golfing right before I got on this podcast, and we were paired up with, like, two strangers, and we had to play our nine holes with them, and I was like, all right, like, it's time. I don't know these people. Like, let's try not to look really bad. So, like, I actually played really well, <laughs> considering I had pressure on me. So it's not... Just in lacrosse, where I perform well under pressure. I perform well under pressure in school. I perform well under pressure in other sports, and especially weightlifting. I found that I performed well because it was such an individual sport. Um, I had to basically only blame myself if something went wrong. So uh, I definitely like the pressure for the mindset it puts me in to compete. Sounds like the right position for you. Yeah. <laughs> It's gotten more diverse in recent years, but lacrosse has mostly been a white sport for some time now. You're a black woman. What is it like to play a sport like that? Um, I'm, I'm pretty used to being the only black kid in the crowd. Uh, I'm adopted. Both my parents are white. I live in a predominantly white area. Uh, I was the only black kid at my church. I was the only black kid in most of my classes growing up. I was the only black kid in my neighborhood. So lacrosse really wasn't any different. Um, it was kind of like how all my sports were in general just because of the area I lived in. So, I mean, it definitely has its moments where I, I do get uncomfortable or some things happen, and I, I feel like I'm outnumbered. It's like 33 against one, like a whole team versus one, so, like, why would I say something? Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like in my recruiting process or – even, like, national team tryouts, it, it kind of stuck me out a little bit because I was the only one either at a tournament or, or a whole field or game. So sometimes I'm the only one in the whole entire stadium at a collegiate level. So, I, like I said, I'm pretty used to it. I just don't really try to focus on other people looking. I, I know they're looking, but that's just not my focus when I'm out on the field. Wow. that That's amazing. I, I didn't realize you were adopted. So it's not just lacrosse. It was pretty much... Everything. My whole life. Yeah, everything was like that. So I was never, I never knew where I fit in. You know, I'm, I'm a mixed kid. Um, I have uh, white traits and black traits. And sometimes I was too black for the white kids or I was too white for the, for the black kids. So sometimes I just never really knew where I fit in. I refer to myself as a floater. <laughs> um, I kind of just like 
bop around and whoever wants to be nice to me today is nice to me. Oh, wow. <laughs> and that's kind of how I rolled. Um, my parents never really put race in for me to like, figure out my problems. Like if I had a problem with someone, I never put race into it. I was just like, okay, maybe that person's just a mean person. Mm-hmm. Um, now how the world is and like stories are coming out and I've been talking to other black lacrosse players about their experience. Uh, some of my experience def- definitely adds up to some sorts of acts of racism, but it kind of just crossed my mind at the time because like I was kind of ignorant. I, I just didn't really know what was going on or what people were referring to. So it kind of just went over my head. But now that I'm hearing other people's stories and like relating my story with their story, I'm like, oh man, maybe it did have something to do with race or maybe that definitely was a factor in the situation. Wow. I'm so sorry you went through that. No, it's, it's, you live and you learn, you know? (laughs) Yeah, no, that's true. And with everything going on in the world, you can just hope that the change that's needed will come. Right. I'm, I'm happy that people are starting to open up their eyes a little bit, maybe just educate themselves a bit. But what I also don't like is that people put me in categories, like as if black people can't be privileged at all. Like I live a privileged life. My parents were able to get me lessons for anything I needed, SAT tutors, uh, therapists, like anything I needed, my parents got me. So sometimes it's just really frustrating when people look at me and automatically put me in a, in a category based off what they've been reading on social media. And some people believe that there's no such thing as black people that can be privileged at all. And it's, it's sad because I dealt with a different type of racism. Um, even though my parents were able to afford a lot of things for me and I did have a privileged life, I still faced my own adversity because of the color of my skin. So I do feel like I have to play a little harder. I do feel like I have to speak up sometimes just to get a little more respect just because people are judging me by the color of my skin. Yeah, wow. And I'd love to know this. Have you spoken with teammates since, you know, in the past month so much has come out about racism in America? Oh, absolutely. Um, Our team's had meetings about it. Um, I'm actually... I've been running Blackster's blog. It's an Instagram account uh, showcasing diversity in the sport. And what I've been doing is I've been interviewing professional lacrosse players, uh, some NCAA coaches, some NCAA elite players as well. And we've just been talking it out and putting it on a platform so people can just listen. It's kind of the safe space is, is the term we've been using lately in lacrosse that there needs to be more of a safe space for black lacrosse players and that's exactly what the black Blue blog provides and i'm basically just been kind of running it i use that as more of my platform and my voice um i feel like i can relate to a lot of little girls that that look like me mm-hmm. uh and i don't know I, I like doing it i like hearing other people's stories i like hearing their experiences i like comparing experiences i just like learning about people who had to deal with the exact same thing i had to deal with yeah, that's awesome that you're doing that. Definitely keep going with it. Yeah, I know. It, it, it's like somewhat therapeutic to just getting it all out. Cause it's like, well, for once, people are listening. Like, I don't, out of my 23 years, I don't think I've had an audience for, for people to listen about the color of my skin, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, hopefully, not even just your teammates, but the lacrosse community in general 
can maybe realize that, oh, some of the things we've said or done aren't okay. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely, from some of the players I've interviewed, uh, they've admitted that. They've, they've admitted their wrongs in the game and some racial adversity they face. So, no, I, I'm very happy that I get to use this platform, not only for my voice, but for other people that are trying to voice to this community. Absolutely. And on another note, some some young black girls that are growing up playing lacrosse that don't see people that look like them playing can go on your site and see someone who has had major success in college and they have a role model in you. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's heartwarming. Uh, the messages I get on social media from the little kids, boys and girls, um, it's just cool. It's like why I do it. It's very humbling. So I, like, it keeps me going. I've definitely had people tell me that black people don't play pro lacrosse. Uh, they want to quit after NCAA. Black people don't do this. And I'm like, I don't really care what black people do. I'm going to do this. Like, this is what I'm going to do because I'm my own person. And I just want to hopefully teach other girls that look like me, like, you're not limited to anything. Like, really, if you put your mind to anything, you can do anything you want. I agree 100%. So now... Getting back to your career before college, you attended Martin County High School, where you had an outstanding lacrosse career. And as you mentioned before, you actually participated in weightlifting and golf. What is high school weightlifting? We did not have that in my high school. Uh, We don't have field hockey at my high school. (laughs) We need other sports because we have northern sports that are just not played in Florida, really. So... I guess on Title IX, we had weightlifting, and I loved it. Um, I would recommend anyone who is in high school and has the chance to be on the weight team to do it because it was the absolute foundation of my whole entire athleticism. Uh, when I got to college, I was already I was already an inexperienced lifter. Like, I had to compete. I understood form. I understood diet. I understood recovery. So it, it changed and shaped my whole athletic mindset doing weightlifting. Uh, golf was, again, another individual sport. It taught me patience. <laughs> um, in high school, I was pretty bad. I'm not going to lie. Uh, they only counted the top four scores, and they only played six players, and I was always number five. So, like, <laughs> I was never the last one, but my score never counted. I like, ever. Um, and I think I, I only played with four clubs because we weren't allowed to have a golf cart. So I was like, oh, that's that's dumb. I'm not carrying all these clubs I don't know how to hit. So I literally only carried four clubs through, like, the 9 to 18 holes. So my bag was 10 times lighter. <laughs> That's funny. Tell me real quick, what was the most you could bench in high school? Um, I think I was in the 119 weight class. So it was from, you had to weigh, like, 111 pounds to 119 pounds. And I think the most I ever got competition-wise, was 155 pause press bench. Wow. And I got 140-ish around there for clean and jerk. But pause press bench was, like, way different than just benching normal. So if I was benching normal, I was in the 160s for my for my max. Wow, I don't think I can bench that today. I mean, like, the girls I was going against were 10 times stronger, too. Everyone thought I was strong, and then you show up to state, and, like, 
no, these girls are monsters. Like, they were strong. (laughs) (laughs) But you're right. That's a huge advantage going into college because... Oh, for a lot of people, that's the first time they're lifting weights. That's the first time they're learning about diet. So you definitely had a major advantage. Especially especially for women. Oh, for um, sure. Not, not many girls learn how to lift weights in, at a young age. It's kind of, I wouldn't say frowned upon, but it's not necessarily the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if, if more young women did lift weights, I think we would have a lot less injuries in our game. That's actually an excellent point. You might be right there. Yeah, yeah. I think if you're strong, you shouldn't, I don't know. If you're strong, I don't think you're as prone to injury. I feel like you have a lot of stability, mobility, muscles, and muscles that you use to perform. Yeah, you're absolutely right. On the lacrosse field in high school, you're three-time first-team all-county, two-time first-team all-region, and you were two-time Under Armour All-American. Incredible. Thank you. <laughs> Anytime. You also played for the South Florida U.S. <laughs> national team. It must have been cool. Yeah, that was, that was fun. Um, I like traveling. That's where I got to do most of my traveling when I played. Uh, all those tournaments were in different cities, so that was really fun. Cool experience. That's awesome. What was your favorite city that you uh, played in? <laughs> uh, Lake Placid, New York. Ooh, that'd be a good one. Um. Yeah, it was very pretty. I never knew it existed. <laughs> so um, I, I definitely I liked it. I didn't know that there was a tournament there either every year. Uh, so, yeah, Lake Placid was definitely one of my favorite things. And I played there for uh, North Star Invitational. It was a camp that you had to be invited to. And I got in, and they basically put us in dorms slash rooms, and it was like a week-long camp. And... They treated it like a combine. It was super cool. Wow, very cool. So with all your success, you're obviously a very sought-after recruit. So what was that process like for you? Um, it, was, it was interesting. I was, my parents didn't really know much about the sport. They actually bought a rule book when I got to college. Like, they, all they knew is that if the goal went in, that was bad. And if I saved it, it was good, you know? <laughs> so, uh, the recruiting process, when I got to middle school, I told my parents that I wanted to play in college. Like, I knew for a fact. I was like, all right, I played two years of lacrosse. I saw myself improve. And I was like, I think I can do this in college. And... I played for Martin County, and Martin County didn't necessarily have a club team, so I ended up commuting an hour each way to Vero Beach, Florida, and I played for Stickbenders. Then Stickbenders was coached by the Vero Beach head coach, who has won 10 uh, state championships. His name's Shannon Dean, and he, because he won all those things, he had a reputation. Uh, I'm pretty sure, like, 11 out of the 15 girls on my team all went D1, wow. so being on that type of team helped my recruiting process because people liked watching our team. And the fact that we were from Florida, we were really gritty and we played up North and we played Northern teams. And I think we found our respect in the lacrosse community, kind of saying that Florida girls can play lacrosse. So when we were at president's cup, we always had people filling our, our sidelines. And I actually didn't even get seen at president's cup. I got saw, I got seen at uh, 
Mid-Atlantic, and they were looking at someone else on my team, Towson was. And my coach came up to me and was like, Towson's interested in you. Here's their number, call them. And I was like, oh, sick. Like, <laughs> that's cool. Like, so I called them, and then that's what happened, basically. <laughs> That's awesome. And Towson is in Maryland, and Maryland is a hotbed for lacrosse, as you know. Right. Right. And that was definitely an influence on my decision was the location of where I played because during all of my recruiting visits and processes and camps, uh, they really emphasized going to a school that you liked. And I knew I didn't want to travel all the time, like going to a school that wasn't in the hotbed of lacrosse. So I knew if I went to Towson, everything's very local, like our whole entire season. I wouldn't be missing too much school uh, because all the teams did play there. How did you like the campus when you visited? Uh, It's a funny story how that happened. So I played on that campus for Under Armour All-American. They they host uh, the Under Armour game. Hmm. And... I remember I was with my dad, and we. this was, like, way before I committed or even knew anything about Towson. And I was like, man, this school is so hilly. It has so many hills. <laughs> my legs hurt. I'm never coming here. Like, literally, I said, I was like, I'm never coming here. And literally, like, probably seven, eight months later, I committed there. That's um, so funny. I, I, I saw the school. Um, my dad and I were touring Towson. And we were touring William and Mary, actually. So when I was younger, I was learning about like Civil War in middle school, and my parents took me on an educational vacation. So we went to Williamsburg, Virginia, and I learned all about the colonial stuff. So I saw William and Mary, and I fell in love with the campus, and I was like, I want to go here. And I said that in seventh grade, and my dad's like, Haha, I like believe it when I see it. Like, you know, <laughs> like, this is a really good school to get into. Like, yeah, yeah, like, I'll get there. So I got all the way to where they actually offered me. And I was touring Towson and William and Mary that same weekend. And Towson just kind of showed me all the bells and whistles. And it was more my, my fit for culturally and competitively. Mm-hmm. So I, I wanted to go to Towson after that. Nice. So you get there in, I guess, the fall of 2015. How was it adjusting yeah. from being a high school goalie to now being a college goalie? Oh, it was rough. <laughs> I did not stop the ball for probably like three weeks. Like, <laughs> I, it was such a change of speed, uh, such a different type of shot. And, and like I said, like, Playing in Florida was a lot different than playing these girls that had a stick in their hand since they were four. Yeah. Uh, I didn't start playing until I was about 12, and that's where that, that was the type of people I was playing with throughout my, my high school career. So the only time I really got to play really good lacrosse is when my club team went for these tournaments. So the fact that I was down at level, and Towson was like top 25 at the time, I was like, wow, these girls can really shoot. So yeah, I didn't save the ball for for a minute, <laughs> and I remember I went to my assistant coach, uh, Mike Molster, and I just loaded up on individual lessons. I was like, I need to get better. Uh, I need to learn how to save the ball, and I got to figure out how to train my eyes to see it. And we just worked and worked and worked, and eventually I earned my spot. Yeah, I mean, hard work pays off because you play right away starting all 20 games in goals, so all those extra lessons definitely paid off. Uh, no, uh it, it was worth it. it. It definitely 
I would say sacrifice, maybe socialize, maybe sacrifice from studying sometimes, but that, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to start, and I wanted to be a freshman starter, and that's, I was like, I will do anything it takes to get that spot and be on the field, and that's, I knew I had to train. I knew that my coaches recruited me because I was athletic, but I didn't necessarily have any training. I never had a goalie coach when I was younger. Hmm. So the fact that I had my first goalie coach ever, everything I teach, like even when I'm coaching today, I use what he taught me. So that was my first goalie coach experience, and I just wanted to be a sponge and just absorb everything he taught me. Yeah, you definitely were a sponge because you definitely learned a lot. After you said, you know, you didn't save save a ball for your first three weeks, you end up being one of the top 50 goalies in percentage in the nation for save percentage. Yeah, it was, it was funny. During fall, I, my team was like, is she ready for this? Like, you know, like, I was just messing up a lot. Um, but then, like I said, the pressure came on, and you, you put me in my first game, and I just felt the pressure of, like, people in the stands of the team and I was like all right like can't mess up we're on tv <laughs> like and then, bam but I don't know like I said like I like the pressure so it definitely helps yeah you perform well under it and you make the CAA all rookie team yeah yes 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 <laughs> how was the colonial athletic conference lacrosse competition uh at the time I was playing it was really just us in, in uh JMU that were always battling it out. Uh, Elon had a pretty good team at the time, so they had a couple upset wins uh, that they deserved completely. So uh, it was interesting, I would say, because we could hang with the top teams, but I don't think we're always respected as top teams. Mm-hmm. So the fact that JMU won the national championship, was it kind of just made that conference stronger. Yeah, for sure. Now, your sophomore year in 2017, you have 123 saves, and your team was ranked in the top 20 for scoring defense. And you actually had the most saves in your career with 17 against the University of Florida. Must have been, that must have been pretty cool. No, that was, I remember that game was fun. So, <laughs> I had so much fun in that game. Uh, I don't know, it was just like, after about like, say, six or seven, I kind of was like, and to myself, I was like, damn, I'm on fire. Like, you know, I kind of had like a, like a little pep talk, you know. I was like, wow, this is cool. This is fun. Yeah, you're so seeing the I ball well. I off my own energy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, man, this is good. So, and then my teammates were like, yeah, and like, keep going. So, I was just feeding off everyone's energy. Even though we were losing, I, I didn't think we were losing in my head. Like, mm-hmm. I was just like, no, 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 save the ball, save the ball, save the ball. It doesn't matter how many go in, save the ball. And I think that... It definitely worked in my favor. Like, I, that, I was pretty upset that we lost. But I, I knew that I just gave it my all. So, and it was the team that I needed to perform well against. For sure. Now, did Towson make the NCAA tournament in your two years there? Yeah, we made uh, the first round my freshman year. Nice. And then we made, we got a buy-in my sophomore year. We lost the CAA, CAAs. Um, semifinals against Elon, I believe, and then we got a buy-in to the tournament, and we were bursting the high point at the time that we lost there. Okay, nice. So, you have two outstanding seasons, and then you make the decision to step away from the game. Can you talk about what went into that decision? Um, I actually 
my my coaches that I was leaving in October. So I told them before I was even playing the season that I was leaving for next season. Oh wow! And my coaches at Towson, my coaches at Towson, uh really held our team to a standard of being open and honest and having good communication with our staff. And I and I valued that and I respected my coaches. So I wanted to tell them earlier, and I was like, all right, like. I know I'm an asset to the team. I know I have a starting spot, but I don't want to come back next year. I don't, I, I'm just not happy here. And they're like, oh, and I'm like, I'm telling you this because I want, I know a goalie is a specialty position and just replacing um, a goalie like that is pretty hard. Uh, we only had two at the time and then we had another one transfer in and I told them, I was like, if me being open and honest with you is going to jeopardize my spot, like, just let me know. But I wanted this open and honesty with you instead of just playing my season and, and just dipping out after out of kind of disrespect. So I, I, I did respect my coaches, so I wanted to let them know earlier. Um, we kind of kept it on the down low for the greater good of the team. And then I actually told my team I wasn't coming back the first game of our conference play. Wow. I mean, first off, that's very mature of you to be honest. You don't see a lot of 18, 19 year old kids doing that. So good for you on that. Thank you. <laughs> of course. So now why did you walk away from the game? If you weren't happy at Towson, why didn't you uh, transfer to another school? I just didn't have fun putting on my helmet. Uh, the pressure was fun. Like I said, I performed well under pressure. But sometimes pressure was just not that fun where it's, like, dependent, you know? Yeah. Um, so I just was yeah, I, I wasn't necessarily happy. Uh, I didn't really like the pull that much, to be honest. Uh, my dad actually got sick again. So it was just multiple factors that, that went involved with that decision. And honestly, I played better knowing I was leaving, as terrible as that sounds, but, like, after I told my coaches I was leaving, I felt like I had, like, a huge weight lifted off my shoulders. And I think that was a huge part of my success for my playing on my sophomore years because I didn't feel like I had all that dependent pressure. I had game pressure, mm-hmm. but not that, like, here's a team and drag, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. It, 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 it was a weird time in my life. I definitely was going through, like, identity, self-reflection time. And at the time, I had a job lined up for a high school program to assistant coach there and a place. So, like, I left with a plan. I didn't just, like, quit and, and go do nothing. I, I mm-hmm. quit and, like, went to go coach. So. Yeah, no, that's awesome that you had a plan. And, yeah, sounds like you were a little burnt out and you also wanted to be near family. I'm sorry to hear that your dad was sick. No, it's okay. I, I definitely – I missed my independence. Um I definitely feel like I couldn't necessarily get that with NCAA and all that stuff. But I knew, like, I, I was always a worker. I liked making my own money. So I, was, I just felt stuck. I felt like I couldn't do much as an NCAA athlete other than just play lacrosse and go to school. And that, I just didn't want to do that at the time of my life. Yeah, I hear that. And, you know, that's, that is what D1 athletes do. There, there's so much that goes into practice and games, and then you have school. It's almost like there's nothing else you have time for. Yeah, no, it was, it was I was at practice, and if I wasn't at practice, I was 
school, and if I wasn't in school, I was in study hall or tutoring. That was mandatory. And that was also another thing, you know, like I couldn't really control my studying. I was always scheduled for everything of that. Um, so, yeah, I was just like, all right, I want to control my own life. I want to do my own thing. I, I, if, if we weren't doing any of those things, we were still team bonding. We were going out to team dinners or something like that. So I never really felt like I had complete freedom being a D1 athlete, and I just didn't feel like I had complete sense of independence. Yeah. Hey, I hear you. I like some me time, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So now you're back at Florida, you're coaching. Did, were you going to school in Florida too? Yeah, I actually went to school part-time um, at FIU. And during that time, I started a business. And I basically just traveled a little bit. And wow. that was my time for my two and a half years off. Yeah, I had fun. <laughs> um, I saw some of the world. I met amazing people. I made good money. It was like, all right, like, I felt, again, like, independence and, like, a complete adult, even just that 20, starting a business at 20 wasn't really easy, and starting a business as a woman, even though I was in a woman's sport, it was still predominantly ran by males in Florida, so it was, it was quite interesting, and I guess a very big growing time in my life, because I had to go to business meetings, I had to sit in on conferences, I had to be political with kids futures and it was, it was definitely different than being a player for sure so what was the business i know it had to do with lacrosse uh yeah so it's called amd athletics it was just my initials um i i was doing lessons like on the side and it got to the point where i was doing like a bunch of lessons and people wanted clinics and it was like okay i need a company to like kind of cover my butt because of everything I'm doing. So I started the company and my goal was to bring player coaches to coach the kids. I was never coached by a lacrosse player my whole entire high school and middle school career. Not once. I was coached by a dad. So wow. I wanted to bring to Florida lacrosse player coaches. I thought that I thought Florida lacked in that. So I would call old friends, old teammates. I flew in about six thousand teammates to do clinics. Um it just kind of just took off. I flew in some pros. I flew in assistant coaches. Uh, I had teammates that I played with at a national team that come down and coach. It was kind of cool because everyone that helped me or worked with me or for me was a former teammate. So it, it, I never really got away from the game. I always used my lacrosse connection because when I quit, I, I guess I was a little bit lost. I didn't know what to identify myself with because my whole life I was called a lacrosse player, right? And, like, mm -hmm. I just quit. So I was like, I'm not a lacrosse player. Stop calling me a lacrosse player. <laughs> so I had, like, a little bit of an identity crisis. And I couldn't necessarily drop my whole entire life. Like, all my connections were based off lacrosse. So I just kind of ran with it because it, it kind of put a roof over my head. Yeah, for and sure. I, I stuck to what I know, and it, it just grew. And I was, I was pretty happy about it. And then I got a phone call from Virginia Tech and that all changed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. But, you know, before we get into that, I just want to say that's incredible to hear about your business that's so successful. And you're doing that at 20. Think about that. Age 20. Yeah. So impressive. It, it, was, it was hard. It was, it was definitely hard. Um, I ended up, I was living with my sister at the time and then, 
I moved out of my sister's place into my own place. And that's when I was like, all right, I'm like no longer with a family member and no one's paying my bills. Like, what do I need to do? So I was just like, stick to what I know and, and just grind it out. And I ended up um, going and playing in Israel and I met people there and I, and I met the Italian national team coaches there. And then those people flew me to Italy to coach their national team. And I was, it was just cool. Like I, like I said, like the freedom, the independence, like I can do whatever I want. And that, that was exactly what I wanted and exactly what I got out of it. That's amazing. I'm so impressed by you. <laughs> so you mentioned you got a phone call from Virginia Tech. At this point, you've been, I mean, you, you're not, you, you've never really been out of the game, right? As you just said, but you've been out of playing in a competition for two years. So how did this call come to be? What was going on? Oh, man, yeah. Uh, super out of the blue. Um, I did apply for the draft uh, a year before, and I did not get chosen for the, for the draft. So I was like, oh, like, I don't really want to play NCAA. Like, let me try for pros. There's no tryouts for the pros. It was just based off draft. So I did not get drafted. So I was like, all right, like, whatever, that's that. Like, I'm not a lacrosse player. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, whatever. So, um. I wasn't, like, too upset, but then I was like, man, like, how do I get to that level is the only way I can do is play. And some of the people in WPLL told me, like, go back to college, go back to college. So it was, like, kind of in my head to play. Um, I was dating a guy that also played lacrosse at the time, so it was hard uh, to get away from it because he was also trying to go pro as well. So I was like, it was kind of like a little fire in my butt. And I was like, well, if you want to go pro, like, I will go pro. <laughs> like, so... Um, out of the blue, I got a phone call from this club coach I was in pretty good contact with, and she's like, hey, Ange, um, I just want to let you know that Virginia Tech coach called me asking for your number, like, he wants to talk to you. And I was like, sick. Like, I thought it was for one of my clients to play for him. You know what I mean? Like, it didn't even cross my mind it was for me at all. Wow. And I get on the phone with John Suns. And he's like, hey, Ange, like, how would you like uh, playing lacrosse again? And I was like, absolutely not. Like, <laughs> like, no way. He's like, no, 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 for real, for real. Like, come play for us for Virginia Tech. Um, we had an incident with the goalie. She got injured, and we would really like to bring you on board. And I was like, give me one good reason why I would leave my life the way I'm living right now to go to Virginia Tech, you know? And he's like, <laughs> because the opportunities you're going to have after you graduate Virginia Tech. And I was like, okay, that might be true. You know, <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm kind of sold. So, uh, so I went, I visited the campus. It was an experience I've never seen. Uh, I, Towson wasn't a big football school, and Virginia Tech is a huge football school. Oh, so yeah. I went to my first Virginia Tech tailgate. I experienced <laughs> the Enter Sandman. Like, it was just the craziest environment that I've ever been in, and, like, I've been to a lot of colleges by now, and I was like, whoa, this is cool, um, I really gelled with the girls, I had a good relationship with my head coach, I feel like I can talk to him on a personal level, so, I don't know, it, it kind of made, it made sense to go, and made no sense not to go, if that mm-hmm. makes sense, yeah. and, and, it, it would help me if I, if I do want to go pro, and that is my pursuit, like, I do have to play, and, Virginia Tech was in the ACC, which is the most competitive conference. So I felt like, like this was my chance. Like, if I wanted to go pro, like, I have to take this and play well. 
Absolutely. So how did you actually get to play? Because you left the NCAA, you started making your own money, so now you have to somehow get back to an amateur status. I have to imagine there's a process yep, to that. Yep, I told my like. Yep, yep, <laughs> it, it was a huge process. Um, one, I had to write a couple of appeals to the NCAA because, like I said, this offer, I wasn't searching for it. Like, this is completely out of my control. So it wasn't like I was actively searching to go play again in the NCAA. Mm -hmm. So I had to appeal my business and, like, what I did. Um, I had to provide my profits and be like, this is how much money I made through the year. And then I had a choice between uh, – volunteer hours or paying a large fee and the fee kind of went to whatever charity I wanted to um at the time I was like oh I'll just do all the volunteer hours and they told me I had to do like 140 hours or something crazy like that and I was like absolutely no way like there's no way you want me to go play lacrosse do 100 and perform well like I couldn't just like come and play lacrosse and like not do well so you wanted me to play lacrosse train a little harder because I've been out of the game for two years. Also do 140 hours of community service and school all in a matter of three months. I was like, that's not happening. <laughs> like, I can't do that. So I decided to go 50-50 and I paid a fine and I donated to a charity and now I only had to do 90 hours of community service and it had to be for a nonprofit organization and there's so many guidelines. I had to give approval for my hours first before I could do my hours. I'm still not done with the hours. I have about 20 more. <laughs> um, and it was hard finding nonprofit organizations that were close to me and in driving distance and actually fit with my lacrosse schedule because I was gone from for 12 hours a day. So I was like, I don't understand where people want me to find these volunteer hours during season. So then I had to ask for an extension uh, for my volunteer hours. So now I have a little bit longer time to get my hours in but I had to actively show that I'm getting my hours. Wow, that is quite the process. Yeah, it was, it was definitely, I didn't get reinstated until about like two hours before my first game. That's nuts. <laughs> Insane. I was like, no way. I thought I was reinstated the whole entire time. <laughs> my coach comes up to me and was like, hey, like, you're reinstated. And I was like, oh, I thought I was. He's like, no, we got an official today. I was like, oh, that's awesome. Oh my gosh. Great. <laughs> but I know now. <laughs> now, did I read this correctly? Part of your volunteer hours deals with me mentoring kids? Uh, yes. So that, that was the path I chose. Actually, the first chunk of my volunteer hours, I was volunteering at an animal shelter. And I went every Sunday for five to six hours. And I sat and read to cats. I had to socialize cats. And that was what I did for my volunteer hours. <laughs> so I called my coach and I was like, please don't make me do this again. Like, yeah, I was like, please <laughs> don't make me go back. Like, put me into something useful. Like, use my talent or something. And then he mentioned Harlem lacrosse. And he's like, look, like, stick to what you know. You can do lacrosse. You can mentor these kids. I didn't really teach lacrosse much because that was a violation for NCAA, but I did mentor and do exercises with the kids and, and talked about lacrosse. So 
I, that was way more up my alley, and I felt like I was impacting people and, like, changing the world rather than just reading the cats on my spare time. <laughs> That's awesome. Was that out of Harlem, New York? Um, there's different cities for, for Harlem Lacrosse, so I was working with the Philly program, but there is a New York program. Gotcha. So was it geared towards inner cities? Uh, well, Harlem Lacrosse is for inner city kids, but it, it, it just... It's a chance for inner city kids to, to learn the game and use the power of lacrosse to, to further their success. So I, I definitely like uh, being a part of that because it was something that the kids could look forward to. A lot of my volunteer work was virtually because uh, Harlem was supposed to come to Virginia Tech for a clinic, but Corona happened. Uh, um, so that got canceled. So most of our stuff is just virtually. So we would have like workout Wednesday. Um, team Talk Tuesday, Motivation Monday, and just basically just mentor these kids throughout the corona season, basically. That's awesome. And, you know, as we were talking about before, there are these inner city kids, I, I imagine some are African-American, that are seeing you having success at a college, playing lacrosse, and, again, you're a role model to them. Yeah, it's, it's, it's super... I like it because it's humbling, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of players who don't necessarily interact with coaching is it's a whole different type of mentality. Like the way I play now, my, my mentality playing now is a lot different than my mentality when I was playing my freshman and sophomore year. Like now I play for the kids. Like that's why I play. If oh, you ask awesome. me my freshman year, like that I didn't play for the kids. I played for myself. <laughs> so it was like, a, I guess, a completely different mindset. And that also must have given you a renewed joy for the game. Oh, absolutely. Um, the kids they are the ones that taught me how to have fun again. So the kids I was coaching, even in my own company, I was very picky with the types of kids I could coach because I could because it was a lot of individual lessons. I didn't necessarily coach a team. So I didn't have to coach everyone, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so the kids I did coach were – Kids I could relate to or kids that that wanted to get better. I didn't care how bad you were. I cared about how hard you worked. Yeah. And those were the kids I, I worked with. You could be the, the worst person on the field, but you always give me 110%, and you will improve. I am a firm believer that repetition will create success eventually. Like, after you do 100 reps of something, I hope your 100th rep is a lot better than your first rep. And yeah, for regardless sure. Regardless if your 100 reps is still bad, I hope it's still better than your first. So that was the mentality I kind of put into the kids. And I, my slogan for the company was winners win. Like, I, I was like, winners win. I don't care what you do, winners win. And if winners lose, they only win if they learn from their loss. Then it's still a winners win mentality. And yeah, I like kids, that. I remember these kids were just going around tournaments and be like winners win coach winners win coach and I was like man I miss competing like I was like you're right winners do win like you know what I mean yeah so, that's that's amazing yeah, they, they basically got me into the game a lot uh they made me find the fun in it again like I said it wasn't fun anymore when I was a sophomore and then I just started coaching and I just saw a whole different perspective I saw a whole different angle of the game uh whole different personalities and I just saw kids grow and like start dominating tournaments. And I was like, wow, like, if I could do this, imagine what my plane would be like now that I have a coaching background. 
Yeah, that, that's an amazing story. So thank you. Of course. No, like seeing kids, these coachable kids having success, I love that. Love that it renewed your joy. Yeah, it's, it's cool. Yeah, no, for sure. I didn't, like I said, like if, if you know me personally, I'm not like the most warm and fuzzy person alive, but the kids that know me, uh, they definitely poke my buttons on purpose, and that's the kid I like. Like I want the kid to challenge me, like make me stay on my toes, and, and those are the kids I got along with the most. Nice. So now as you're preparing for the 2020 season at Virginia Tech, you've been away for a bit. So was it a challenge getting back into D1 shape and specifically that reaction time as a goalie? Um, it was quite the process. I'm just <laughs> um, thankfully, I kept myself in shape there in those two years, but it wasn't necessarily D1 shape. Um, so what I did before I got to Virginia, I entered a an adult league tournament, like a, just a little jamboree in Florida, 7v7. Um, a couple of my coaches and, and old teammates were all playing, and I was like, okay, like, let me take out the gear and, like, let's go. And this was right before I went to Israel, too. And I started puking all over the field. Ooh. I was not in shape. Uh, I told the refs to literally stop the game, and I took off my helmet and puked behind the goal and then went back in. So, <laughs> no, I, I knew that I was going to have a rude awakening coming to Virginia Tech. Um, so then after that, I just made sure I trained as hard as I did in that tournament. And I was like, okay, I need to get my heart rate this high. And I got, I was there when I showed up to Virginia, I was in shape. I just wasn't necessarily a goalie yet. Gotcha. So finding that reaction time was a whole nother step then. Uh, I, I was on the phone with, uh, John Sung a lot right before I came up. Cause I was freaking out. And I was like, I have no one to shoot on me in Florida. Um, I don't know how you expect me to get these reps. Like I said, it's not a hotbed in Florida. Yeah. Um, I was like, I had my, my boyfriend at the time shoot at me. And that was as much shots I got. Like, that was as close as I got to a D1 level or at least the ACC level that was around me. And I called him. I was like, I'm not getting shots. I don't know how you expect me to get shots until I'm there. Like, I'm kind of nervous. He's like, don't worry. We have a plan. Just make sure you're in shape. And I was like, okay, I can do that. So <laughs> I showed up, and he's like, all right, here's our plan. And like I said, I just popped on the individual lesson train and grinded that out again. I, I got, tried to get as many as I could or as many as I was allowed to for my hours of training. And I just worked with John Song all the time. Uh, he was a different style of coach than Mike Bolster. So Mike Mulster was more of an explosion coach, uh, get to the ball from A to B as fast as you can. He taught me a lot of things of my foundation of my style. But John Sung has a completely different approach to the game, and it's very technical, and it's more of a work smart, not hard type mentality. So learning from him was a completely different perspective than what I was used to. So I just combined it what I knew from Mike and learned from John at the same time and then got the product that wanted <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome and it sounds very similar to what you went through at Towson when you got there getting those individual lessons and getting reps. yeah I, I I knew what it took to get there um it wasn't a foreign land to me I I, I did it before you know yeah absolutely. Um, so now I'm just doing it again but I have experience so like I knew exactly what it, I probably I treated myself better 
Um, I had a way better diet and nutrition. I had way better sleep and recovery. I had a way better sense of how my body reacted to things. So I thought I was a lot stronger of an athlete mentally and physically, and I had muscle maturity by the time I got into Virginia Tech. Yeah, for sure. Is you're older, right? Older and wiser. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, those old genes kicked in, trust me. <laughs> I hurt after practice. Now. Oof, I bet. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Virginia Tech was off to a great start this past season. You were off to a great start. You made 87 saves. Virginia Tech had seven wins and only three losses. But then the coronavirus basically ended all of the NCAA spring sports uh, in March, unfortunately. I mean, how tough was that for you and your teammates to deal with? Oh, it was an emotional like domino effect (laughs) it was one so sudden and two um everyone was getting information and news at the same time so it wasn't like our coaches got info from the conference to tell us like no everything was posted on social media and everyone found out about the same thing at the same time so we're on the bus i think we were just bursting brown right and the ivy league canceled their season so that was like the first of the cancellations and in our heads, we're like, oh, we're ACC. We're not going to get canceled. It's ACC. So we had a, like, our heads a little filled a bit. So when we played Brown, Brown came out super fiery, full of motion. It's their last senior game and all this stuff. And, and we were just like, okay, like, we got to put this game away. And we have Boston College right after. We ended up losing pretty upset. Um, not what we planned to do. But then we had to keep moving forward. We were like, okay, Boston College next. Let's focus on Boston. So we drove Boston, and this is when the corona was, like, getting super popping, and, and people were starting to cancel things, and school was starting to cancel, and we're, like, in the hotbed of Boston, which is, like, a level two of the virus at the time. And our practice time got changed because of it. So we're like, oh, no, like, we can't even practice for our game. And then they made new rules saying our game couldn't have fans. So then you just started seeing all these new regulations. So we were doing film in the hotel, and our coach comes in and was just like, pack your stuff, game's canceled, we're going home. I was like, what? Like, (laughs) that's it? Like, that's all, that's what? Like, we're not playing? Like, what what do you mean? He's like, yeah, like, it's canceled, we're not playing. And we drove all the way home from Boston to Blackbird because we couldn't get back on the plane. Wow. It was such an odd time for everybody, everybody, but yeah, being an athlete and still thinking you have a game and then it gets canceled last minute. That's, that's so tough. Yeah. The bus ride home was, was very emotional. People were crying for like probably two hours straight. And then we got super tired of crying. (laughs) We started like talking and laughing and then more news came out so then we started crying again and then we got tired of crying again Aww. so it, it was just like again like everyone got the news at the same time and thought like, we could just like digest this stuff or like mm-hmm. someone could have put it to us in a different way yeah that's an excellent point i was happy to see that the ncaa did give every athlete an extra year of eligibility for the spring though spring sports yeah i thought that was cool i i am concerned of what future problems that may hold but i'm happy i got an extra year so i can't really complain 
Yeah, like, I, I imagine there has to be something up with the scholarships that they, the NCAA should give schools more scholarships because if the seniors are coming back for an extra year, those freshmen are still coming in. I'm not exactly keen in on the rules, but I do think the, the seniors are, you can have more scholarships if it's for your returning seniors, but that's it. So if you transfer, that doesn't necessarily count. Gotcha. So it's not an extra scholarship. It's like one of your already existing scholarships. Okay. That's got to be, I mean, it's a bummer for everyone, but I'm thinking specifically of you because I'm talking to you. You worked so hard to get back into the shape to play Division One lacrosse and 10 oh, games yeah. in, the I season gets canceled. Life. I moved my whole life yeah. for this season and my season got rich. And I was like, man, this is not the plan I had in my life. But neither was anything I, I do in my life. I don't necessarily, I can never predict my future. I, I'm I, I didn't predict Virginia Tech, so that just explains it in itself. So, yeah, when, when I found out, I was already trying to come back for a sixth year because I still had school. Because I took school part-time that helped my eligibility, but I'm still an undergrad. So I was already trying to apply for a sixth year. We just didn't necessarily know the exact route to take. But then this happened, so now I'm guaranteed a six year, so I don't have to apply for one anymore. Wow. Yeah, that's a good thing, though. So you don't regret it? Uh, uh, no, I think um, in, in the long run, and like the professional league, like the professional league canceled their season this year. So either way, I feel like I would have to play another season again anyway. Mm-hmm. No, I would think so. I know next year's technically your sixth year, but it would really only be your third because this season doesn't count. Everyone gets an extra year, and you played two at Towson. Can you technically get a seventh year? Um, we joke about it. The team jokes about it. Everyone's saying Angie's never graduating, <laughs> but I am trying to graduate. I'm trying to be done with school. <laughs> I'm trying to, to move on. Uh, play at a different level. Uh, I, I mean, like, we can always entertain it. It's definitely a running joke, but no, that's just not in my future plans right now. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you have a good case if it does, you know, enter your future plans because you've really only played two seasons, next year being the third, and then, you know, every athlete gets four years, just saying. <laughs> And it's funny because they're actually counting this season as, like, a season. Like, your stats for this season are your stats. So oh, wow. it has pros and cons. Um, so, yeah, it's, like, as if this was a season, I guess. Well, you had pretty good it's stats, so. Season. Angie, I've had a blast talking with you. I like to end the podcast with a couple of fun questions. How does that sound? Yeah, sure. <laughs> All right. What's your favorite movie? Grease. Grease, a musical. I like that. It is. Uh, I low-key like musicals. <laughs> Don't judge me, everyone. But hey, yeah, I, like too. I, I do like my Mamma Mia's and Rent and Flame is and all that good stuff. Hey, I like them as well. No judgment here. Yes. <laughs> you mentioned that you traveled a lot during your time off in lacrosse. What was your favorite place you visited? Um, so far, I like 
Italy. Um, I visited Milan at the time. I wish I was there to go visit, um, like, the ancient history and stuff, but Italy was by far my favorite because I could eat anything I wanted. I was carb loading all the time. Uh, <laughs> tortellini, pesto, everything. Like, I, I had all the food I could possibly desire, so Italy was my favorite place. <laughs> nice. I don't blame you. All right, last and question. And the wine. Oh, the wine, of course. <laughs> If you could have dinner with one person, living or dead, who would you choose? Dinner with one person living or David Goggins. Yeah, David Goggins. This dude is a monster. Um, I've been listening to a lot of his podcasts lately. I've been, I just started his book. Uh, I watch a lot of YouTube stuff, and I follow him on Instagram. And He is contagious, and I can relate to him on a lot of things. And I, I do feel like I have an alter ego sometimes, especially when I'm performing and playing. So I think David Goggins is, is definitely up there as, like, a person that I want to be. I wouldn't necessarily say for a lacrosse game, but just for life in general, I, he is someone I would like to have dinner with. Nice. That's a great answer. Angie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I had a blast talking with you. I, I honestly think that I am now a Virginia Tech lacrosse fan. That's awesome. Go Hokies. <laughs> <laughs> Go Hokies, absolutely. And again, I just want to say, you know, thank you for diving deep in with the racial issues. I know that that's not always easy to talk about, but I think you're doing such a great job, and just keep going. Absolutely. Um I've been told to be unapologetically myself, and I feel like that's hard sometimes because you never want to step on, like, people's toes, but if you feel like you're doing the right thing, like, just keep doing the right thing. Absolutely. Keep speaking out. I love what you're doing. Thank you. All right, everyone. That was my chat with Angie Benson. I hope you enjoyed it. Really cool to hear about her unique athletic journey. Bummed for her that the season got canceled due to coronavirus, but excited to see what she and Virginia Tech are going to do in 2021. Also, if anyone's interested in hearing more about Angie's experience as a black lacrosse player, she and Duke midfielder Alexis Joseph did an Instagram Live called Let's Talk About It. I encourage everyone to go find it and check it out. It was phenomenal. I'll be back soon to speak with another outstanding athlete.